Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Season 1 Review of the Light Vision Podcast. My name is Eric Fisher, the founder of Finder Creations and the Light Vision Podcast, and it has been a wild, wild year. And in that time frame, from January 14th, when our first episode launched, titled Healthy Touch Heals, all the way through our 14th episode, speaking to Evan about Hollywood and storytelling, the world has changed. There are many things that have been turned upside down that have forced us to open our eyes to different perspectives. And I hope that the Light Vision Podcast has accomplished that goal along the way as we build into season two. I've learned a ton as a podcast host about audio quality consistency and questions to ask, conversations. But this episode today is all about review of the season one in the Light Vision Podcast to remind you of what happened. If you missed any, you can go back and listen to some. This will feature a snippet of all 14 episodes in the first season of the Light Vision Podcast. Enjoy. I wasn't uh, raised in a healthy environment. Okay. I was. I felt like I survived my childhood, mm-hmm. so I always had upset belly. Um, I was never happy. Um, and I didn't have any good role models. And so I had a lot of tension in my body. So after that first massage and then getting regular massage after that, I realized that the body could heal through healthy touch. Mm -hmm. And so the relief that I felt was enough for me to pursue that, um, that school. And then after after school, it was a lifestyle change at that point. it would, That was where I learned um, how to eat correctly, how yeah. to drink correctly, <laughs> and, and how to be in my body in a way that didn't hurt and that I didn't have to suffer. I didn't have to feel pain. And so it was life-altering for yeah. sure. And I've always told anyone that has asked me about becoming a massage therapist that just going through the school is life changing. And Mm. so even if they don't choose it as a career, I think it's a great thing to do just to get yourself balanced and um, learn how to take care of yourself. So on November the 9th, 2009, I came into Thistle Farms and it was an absolutely amazing place. When I first got there, I expected the people to say, Okay, Doris, what have you been out there doing? Hmm. I expected to be judged, but they Hmm. didn't judge me. When I walked in, they said, what happened to you? And that was the most profound question I had heard anybody ask me. Hmm. Just simply, what happened to you? So I realized my very first day in the program that if something happens to us in our lives, really devastating, and we don't deal with it, it'll deal with us. Hmm. So that's what it was. I had lost my dad. I was a witness to my father's murder. I tried to cover it up with drugs. It didn't work. It manifested itself into prostitution. It manifested itself into a cycle of abuse and addiction and human trafficking. And when I came in, this program took me by my hand. They sent me to SAC, which is a sexual assault center here in town. I had like 11 and a half teeth when I came in. It was not a good look. They sent me to the dentist, and then they taught me that I was worthy. Mm. And this organization loved me back to life. So Thistle Farms is an absolutely amazing organization. And the good thing about it is every survivor has her own plan. You got to one day, you just got to do it. So I, so I had this, uh, I had this, this mantra um, 
that I was kind of repeating to myself and ended up printing on some t-shirts. Um, one day when I was sitting in that office, I would listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of books because I didn't talk to anybody in this job. I just kept my earbuds in and moved things around on, the, on a computer screen. Yeah. But um, there was some podcast or some book that I was listening to, and I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about your life's philosophy, and if you had a mantra, what would your mantra be? And it, it wasn't anything that I dwelt on for a long time. I just wrote it down on a piece of paper. It came to me kind of wholesale. And I wrote down, do the thing even if your hands shake. Say the thing even if your voice breaks. Oh, I love that. So to me, it all is rooted and grounded. And I was raised a single mom. She raised us in the fear of the Lord. She raised us to fear God. We were at church on Wednesday night Bible study. Friday night a study and then two times on Sunday. So yeah. we've always known church. But to answer your your second question on the relationship part and and the trials that you go through, I really don't believe that we know uh, him and know God Jesus for who he is until we begin to go through our own circumstances. So we shift from shouting off of Grandmama saying he's a he's a deliverer or he's a healer into going through your own situations and circumstances, knowing that, oh yeah, he is a healer. He is a deliverer. He is a way maker. So it, it, that shift for me, when that shift began to take place, and it all seemed to have happened earlier in my life, which is I'm still trying to digest and understand why God allowed me to go through so much early, but, but to shift now into where I am now in ministry and serving over uh, over the youth now in this season between ages 10 and 18, really being able to uh, to give back to them and to see that, okay, yeah, your father was not there. Now you're able to, to talk to young guys that are going through the same exact thing. So I truly believe that we don't go through anything for ourselves. We go through for someone else. Hmm. We just have to open up our mouth and talk about it. Okay. Because the Bible says that uh, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Hmm. So if we don't tell our raw truth, uh, no matter how um, nasty it may sound, how how hurt you may have been by it, if we don't tell that truth, we could be holding up someone else's progress. Hmm. And could their blood be on our hands because we were too prideful or arrogant or whatever uh to talk about it so when i started going through those things um my that deepened my relationship it was no longer religion for me i hate religion <laughs> it was more so about relationship okay. finding peace in uncertainty has never been something i'm good at <laughs> um and it was so like it's just so funny i that started at a very young age of just wanting to know what was going on but being the youngest sure. of like four kids yeah. you know i'd get thrown into the back of tahoe and be like are we going on vacation are we going to grandmother's like are we going to, to sunday lunch like what's yeah. ha what's happening <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, who knows the plan yeah um and so now it's now it's that place of i want to i want to know i want to know what's going to happen to me i want to mm -hmm. i want to know the answers and coming coming to an understanding that I'm not going to. There are a lot of things that I'm not going to know the answers to. Yeah. And understanding that that is okay. Um, that there is going to be chaos. 
And what I can control is the way that I step forward into that uncertainty. Um, I can, I'll continue to be myself. I'll continue to show up as best I can in whatever state that I'm in. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's all I can do really. Yeah. I can react. Yeah. And that will be whether I learn from something or whether I, you know, decide to take it with me. I had a hard time with um, my body, right? You know, during the dark period, I, I struggled a lot with that. I didn't know what it was good for. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. Now that I was finished, I, I ran it into the ground. Mm-hmm. I broke some bones from that. I didn't have a period for almost eight years. And, you know, I, I really didn't know how to treat my body. Um, I thought that it was just something that had to be accomplished, you know, like if I had an accomplishment, then it was worthy. Right. Um, and so I started sketching basically, you know, I went to fit them. Of course I, I mm-hmm. did merchandise product development. So of course, sketching women in suits and stuff was part of what I did, but I started to find beauty and have it, how abstract I could make it all and like how that healed me. Mm. Um, and it felt really, really cool to be in that space of healing my body through drawing bodies and different bodies yeah. and all different uh, women and parts of the body that are beautiful for us. So I, yeah, I definitely have enjoyed that a lot and it's been really therapeutic for me. For me, um, it's it's a couple of things. One thing I, I, I fear that people... Um, mischaracter- mischaracterize horror fans sometimes. Yeah. Uh, horror fans are into, you know, particularly dark, sometimes very gruesome kinds of films. And the cliche is that, you know, there's something, you know, maybe inherently dark within them that makes them gravitate towards that. But I like to look at it as folks, myself included, we gravitate towards these mo- these kinds of films and these kinds of stories because we are trying to get it's it in a way it's like therapy because mm. we want to have the light within us so in order to do that we must basically reflect the darkness back into the darkness so yeah. that the light can shine through yeah uh, so that we can be good people and that we can you know function in society because i do think that that is the human condition that we do have dark tendencies and we have to exercise them so you know whether it be through you know myself being a a christian being religious you know i do you know uh, i try to have an active uh, relationship with uh, with the lord but uh another way to do that is to you know have these outlets where we can get those bad thoughts those tendencies those demons Mm -hmm out somewhere else where they're not in us they're yeah. you know they're out of the body and into yeah. something like a like a canister yeah, sure. <laughs> like a trash bag. and and so at that point Madison Square Garden talk, took took note of us and we're like yo come to New York so we uprooted from Vancouver signed a contract with Madison Square Garden I thought exclusively out of the garden during that fight during that time when I was getting ready, I mean, I was uprooted. I was away from my mom and my family and my friends and the whole thing mm-hmm. and I'm here in New York and I really wasn't feeling the vibe, you know what I mean? New York's a yeah. beautiful city. It's the greatest city in the world, but I didn't know anybody. You know, I was around people I'd never, culturally, I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. Everything was just different. And uh, so 
I, I remember I was in training one day and I was just, I just wasn't even really into it at all. And I, there was this one kid, he was maybe like about six and zero. Oh, and at this point I'm probably like 17 and zero, oh, and I'm inside the, I'm inside the world ratings at this point. And, um, and I was just going through the motions and I wasn't paying attention. I just didn't care. And this kid out of nowhere threw a right uppercut and hit me under the, um, he hit me under my eye and he fractured my orbital oh. bone that what the eye sits on, right? The floor of the eye sits yeah. on. And then I, my, my head went back and it came back down. And mind you, this is sparring. And so it's not a fight. and It's not supposed to be like this. Right. But again, protect yourself at all times. That's just the standard rule in boxing. You don't know what you're going to get. Huh. And then he threw another one. I mean, it was it was it was just insane. He hit me on the bottom lip and split my lip in half. And at this point, everyone jumped in the ring and there were punches exchanged, you know. And this is in the gym. Wow, <laughs> it was crazy. And um, and so everyone was separated and all of us that kind of stuff. But so my my lesson that I learned from that was more than just like a mental lesson. It, the physical lesson was. I mean, I now had double vision permanently. This is when the rule of two began. And so um, he came up with that, and it was a master or the Lord of the Seth and an apprentice. And there could only be two ever. And for the apprentice, you know, the apprentice had to kill the master at some point. To, to become the master. There would always be one that had the power and one to crave it. The Lord has given me a talent. He's given you one. He's given everyone. Some have more than others, and they're all in different areas. And so one is, how am I utilizing that? Um, you know, I've, I've always said I have a really great mind for marketing. I remember being in the seventh grade and coming up with a Gatorade commercial idea. And nice. I wanted to write Gatorade and tell them about it. Um, <laughs> I've just always had this mind for like creativity when it comes to, you know, consumers and telling a story. I've always loved to write and that sort of thing. And so how can I use that for the good of God? Um, and so one, utilizing my talents, you know, in a church setting, but out in the workplace where I can come in contact with people and tell them that I'm a Christian and tell them why I am different and why my work ethic is the way it is. Um, and then the money that comes with that. You know, it's, it's not my money. It's God's money. Yeah. I'm, I'm just managing it for him. And so as I'm able to grow in my career, make more money, how am I able to use that again for the kingdom to show people that Christ lives within me? Um, and so, you know, if you miss heaven, you miss it all. So yeah. I'm a believer and I believe that Jesus died for me, that he was buried, that he was resurrected. And any chance I get to come in contact with someone and, you know, share my spiritual journey, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of that. I'm going to do it. When okay. you think about race in America, you see how um, the character of African Americans has been attacked for years, whether it be through slavery days and the mindset of um, African Americans amongst themselves still treating themselves even negatively because of mindsets that were put in from slavery days. And you're talking about also it could be um, the white people who have had a mindset of maybe that African-Americans were ugly or treated like dogs or comparing them to apes or something like that. And so you get these wrong judgments 
in your head concerning a person. And it tr- and it creates another word we use called inequality. Mm. And that's the quality of being unequal or uneven, such as a social disparity or a distribution of opportunity, a lack of evenness, or an instance of being just plain, flat out, unequal. Yeah. And these things get into us fundamentally, and they create this um, incongruence element. What do I mean by that when I say that? It creates not harmony or uh, disagreements, not conforming to what people in their group think. And here's this word, too, that we used a lot in trainings and education at the EEOC while I was an investigator, and it was implicit bias. And here's the thing. Each one of us has an implicit bias. That's a bias that's formed in you without you even realizing it or knowing it. Yeah. And it comes from your background, how you grew up. It could come from your if you went to church or didn't go to church. It could come from what you read, not don't read. And then because of the implicit biases that we all have, we begin to make judgments in our head, whether we think we're doing this to protect ourselves or not protect ourselves. But here's the problem with an implicit bias. How do you use that to affect you in the world? What do you do with that? When those thoughts come to your head, what do you do with that? Hmm. Now, from a Christian perspective, Jesus told us that in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we're supposed to cast down imagination, thoughts, theories, reasonings, arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And God is love. So any thought that's trying to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, we're supposed to bring that thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Hmm. And when we don't do that, and we let those thoughts run, those thoughts can create fear, and out of fear, people do irrational things. This Samaritan does the very thing that demonstrates the love of Jesus. He cleans up a man's bandages without knowing the full story. He makes a sacrifice and pays for him and helps him out when he doesn't know the man's entire story. He says, put it on my account when he doesn't know the man's entire story. This Samaritan, the least likely person in the story Jesus told, was the one who got involved and the one who helped. He helped somebody who was not like him, who was from a group of people who uh, marginalized his people, but he still got involved. The system of the day said he should not help, but he made a decision to. Listen, if this world is going to get better, it's going to take... Our white brothers and sisters getting involved and in listening to the pain of people like myself. We aren't making these stories up. And now that we got video, it's irrefutable. We're not asking you to do anything that Jesus isn't asking you to do. We're asking you to feel our pain and get involved in the help. 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 How can you help? How can you help? If you go on Google and you search for racial injustice, if you just look at the disparities, if you search, how can I get involved? Read my brother Ephraim Smith's book. Read Brian Loritz's book on these subjects and on these topics. It'll show you how to get involved. Befriend people who don't look like you. Be willing to listen 
and ask questions and receive the answers that people give you who are going through this. Humble yourself. Put your pride aside and say, man, maybe, maybe, just maybe black people haven't been lying all this time. For me, you know, I, I'm a, I was a kid at this point, so I'm not saying, you know, she was wrong and I was right. I'm just saying it was a shock to my system um, that when I realized really how kind of arbitrary justice was, yeah. um, that it was really just human beings. Um, who it's a little bit of a crapshoot. You know, you can have the law, you can have the facts, but at the end of the day, you have a human being um, <laughs> making the decision. And, sure. you know, we have the ideal even of the appellate process where we're like, okay, like, well, if that was unfair, you could appeal it. You know, but in this case in particular, the money was out. You know, this was a, a situation where, um, you know, it, it couldn't be continued on to the appellate level because, the litigants were unable to continue to afford legal representation and they were too um, well off to be able to, um, you know, get free representation. And it wasn't a situation where they would, but justice, in my mind, um, it was unclear that it had been done. And that's where I really um, started to have to look to the Lord um, as being sovereign. And I started to get a lot of peace from that. And I was, you know, whereas before I think I was, I believe God was sovereign, but I also really, um, I think I had a disproportionate amount of faith in the judiciary. And so I was really thankful when God kind of shattered my faith in the judiciary. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just think a lot of us, you know, put a lot of faith into our government, not to yeah. say that we should disregard government, the good that it can do, or the evil that it can perpetuate. But I think for a lot of Christians, um, although we say our hope is in Christ, I think our fears and our disappointments and our disillusionment are telling a different story. I'd say that's what you do with it that makes the difference, right? And I'll wrap this up because I know, you know, we could talk all afternoon, but, you know, uh, in, in Hollywood and for myself and for the stories I tell myself and that I tell others, but also I'm sure uh, for you, Eric, you know, and for many of most people in a moment like this, there are really kinds of two roads that we can take, right? And I've seen both be taken. And the first road is the road of open-mindedness, um, the road of allowing in voices, perspectives, viewpoints that we might not have heard before. Um, and I've seen, you know, plenty of that. Um, I've seen much more of that than I ever thought I'd see in my life. And it's been a beautiful thing to see that in my friends, my family, coworkers, you know, public figures, and, and to notice that in myself as well. Um, and I think there's a window for that in Hollywood um, right now. And we see that with some of the some of the stuff that's coming out of Hollywood right now and some of the stuff that we're developing. But there is also a window for the, the second road um, that people are taking right now. And, you know, that second road uh, is to double down in a moment like this, to double down on what you know, what we've already believed on our, our pre-existing belief systems, on our preconceived notions, on, you know, what we've always known that makes us feel comfortable. And, um, and you know, to, to box out any voices or viewpoints or anything that, that challenges that whatsoever and do so, to do so quite vehemently and angrily with a capital A. And, 
there's a there's you know on, on road B there's a culture war essentially and that's that's happening right now on social media and in many corners of it uh, you know in in on many much on news media and many of the pundits on news media um, you're seeing a lot of finger pointing a lot of uh, you know blame being assigned and a lot of yelling uh, without listening <laughs> and uh, and you know road A or road B uh, I mean that's kind of the choice right now for a lot of us and um, I I'm a, I'm a big proponent of road A and I hope I continue to bring it to the work that I do um, you know to help shepherd in, you know, the kinds of stories that uh, help us uh, open our minds and uh, challenge us and celebrate, you know, you know, the lives that we've lived, but also uh, challenge us to think beyond them. And that is a wrap on season one of the Light Vision podcast. Thank you so much for listening to these great conversations, all 14 episodes covering various topics with tremendous perspective from from really cool people and i learned a ton i hope that you did too i'm quite certain that you did and we are thinking beyond these issues and pushing into the future with finer creations and the light vision podcast as a whole season two coming in 2021 so look out for that and in the meantime please do subscribe share tell your friends about this podcast and rate it five stars wherever you can rate it it really helps us open up the catalog to those that have not heard the light vision podcast and opens up more opportunities for other guests and different perspectives. So please do that and help us out with that show. Uh, It's been such an honor to have you along this ride. And to close this season, to close this particular review episode, I have a special replay of the song Made for This World, brought to us by Trapper Haskins, as a fitting inspiration to close season one. Enjoy. Thank you.
Just a